1: Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtung Millwall. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Achtung Millwall. I'm speaking to Glenn from This Is Millwall. Welcome to the show, Glenn.
3: Morning, mate. How are you doing?
1: Well, I'm, I'm better today than I was yesterday. I started out with every intention of going to Cardiff, um... And then I met a gridlock of traffic around the, the A4, which was apparently the Hammersmith flyover was closed. <clears throat> and I sat in the uh, sat in Earl's Court, basically, for an hour and, hour and a bit before turning back for home. But you, congratulations, you made it to the game yesterday.
3: I did, yeah. I might, might be a bit croaky today because we had a good sing-song at Cardiff yesterday. <laughs>
1: well, that's good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Now, Neil Harris has uh, gone on, I was listening to 94.9 just before you and me spoke today and he's describing yesterday's nil-nil uh, draw down at
3: Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues
1: um it's not Ninjan Park anymore, it's called something else now, isn't it? Um but as a as a good point to have won and he actually he actually uses the, the the phrase that um it's a measure of how far the club has come under his management that we would have gone to Cardiff yesterday with the expectation of actually coming away with a result and we're disappointed that we didn't. That's how far we've come as he puts it. What what did you make of the game yesterday? What was your, your take on, on proceedings?
3: Um it was a it was actually a pretty awful game to watch um right. it, uh, <laughs> Uh, but he's right in what he says that we went there, you know, thinking we can get slank out of this, uh, and and came away having the better chances that, you know, we could have had all three points.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: we certainly looked like we missed, um, you know, Upson and Williams. Um, the midfield did suffer yesterday.
1: Yeah, and and done it right back as well. Um, but is...
3: He had a good game, to be fair. So right. uh, I know people think I'm an apologist for him, but he did. He did. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, especially as he's coming cold, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been on subs bench either So uh, no, I mean, but, uh, then you know, to be fair, Cardiff didn't pose us too many questions throughout the game.
1: I mean, just reading on some of the reports on online, I was looking at the House of Fun earlier on Chinkford line on there. Um, said that the first half was, um, you know, not a great deal of quality, as he puts it diplomatically. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second half, much better um, from Millwall. Um, the, uh, the way I'm picking it up, and I wasn't there, so correct me, is that we, we gave it a good go in the second half. Would that be Would that a fair comment?
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Uh, it's still lacked um, something. You know, I think we could have potentially gone for it a bit more. Yeah. Uh, however, I think... That was actually almost calculated and that I think Harris has gone, look, go forward when you can, but yeah. if we get a point here and then go to Tuesday with our game in hand and, and then that's when we need to go gung-ho a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: go for it then. Um, I mean, Gazza makes the same point on the House of Fun. He says that uh, Cardiff were there for the taking, but understandably we were cautious to the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, I suppose avoiding defeat, Glenn, is our, um, you know, is, our, is our prime aim when you go into a place like Cardiff.
3: Yeah, I mean, as, as I say, especially when you look back, you know, I don't think we would have been expecting any results in Cardiff a few, like a month, two months ago, uh, under him. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs>
1: him, him, who should have not been named.
3: Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I've started trying not to call him by name anymore. It's worth <laughs> mentioning, but uh, you know, that's how that's how much it's changed in such a short space of time. You know, but it's the same players, just getting so much more out of them. We, we walk, we come away from Cardiff thinking oh, you know, we should have won that if only Taylor Fletcher wasn't shit and if only uh, <laughs> that ball, when it hit the bar, bounced the other way rather than out, you know.
1: I mean, that, that's I mean, the, hitting the bar is always going to be a luck. I mean, you know, a, a millimetre or two either way and it, it, it will go in or it will go in a different direction. But um, Taylor Fletcher is getting a lot of stick online and I want to get your take on it because apparently he's missed a sitter of a chance. I've not seen any of the highlights, so I'm, I'm just going purely by what I read. Um, but a clear and cut opportunity to score the goal that would have given us two vital extra points. What, what did you see of it, mate?
3: Well, you know, obviously I'm watching the game live, so, you know, on the replay, maybe it looks different. But yeah. from what we saw, um, Fuller, who did really well when he came on as well, yeah. uh, crossed in the crossed in the ball, passed it right in front of the goal. Basically, all we had to do was even just let it hit him. Right. and it we would have gone in. <laughs> he somehow stepped on the ball. Right. Um like he was some sort of statue uh it was just it was unbelievable and it wasn't just that miss either it was the rest of his play uh control was poor you know it's the first touch that he made he flicked it out of play um and it was just it was just it was awful to watch um it looked like some bloke had been pulled out of the crowd because we had no players left and it was like you know put your this shirt might be a bit tight for you around
2: <laughs>
1: the middle put it out there, yeah I mean, this is what intrigues me. I mean, clearly, Gary Taylor Fletcher has been brought in as, as inverted commas as the experienced older head, you know, for precisely this kind of situation, Glenn. Um, you know, a youngster pitched straight into the heat of battle in the first team and he gets a clear open chance and he misses it. Well, you can say, well, that's no place for a youngster to be, is it? It's, it's, a, it's a place for men. Uh, and here's Gary Taylor Fletcher, Who? and you're right, he is carrying a few extra pounds, to to be quite, um, to be quite blunt.
3: He makes me look anorexic. <laughs>
1: I mean, we have been reading all season about Maguire Gray and his body fat index. Nice. I, mean, I I don't know what you know it, it's remarkable that um you know there's a picture of uh, Taylor Fletcher on the news at then he's got a double chin and you, th- you know he's a professional sportsman what what kind of respect does it does that show you, your club or, or yourself actually for your profession it's, it's it's remarkable that he's he's actually getting out on on a in, in the first team. And
3: do you know what? he could he could be as fat as he likes if he was you know had a bit of class about him but the, the problem I have is, you know, to me, a, a proper old professional is someone who still has it, no matter what. You know, has that little, you know, like a Claridge or a Kerry Dixon when we had them. You know, they just they they're knocking on, but they're still saying about them. And to be fair, I mean, you look uh, look at Ricardo Fuller. I know that you know the fans and him had a bit of a falling out before, but they, you can't deny that when he, you know, when he plays, he certainly is a is a. You can still see that class in him.
1: It's class, and he he also has respect in the sense that he keeps himself in condition. He, you know, he's clearly at a, an age where um, doing a regular 90-minute start will be you know too much to ask of him, so he is going to come in as a substitute, but he never looks out of, out of condition. He always gives everything he's got to give, and I'm just fascinated by, I mean, Aldo here has got that um, Gary Taylor Fletcher is disappointed, speaking to Harris. Gary Taylor Fletcher is disappointed he didn't score as are some of the others who had chances, but the two subs made a difference. Did you did you get any sense that Taylor Fletcher coming into the game made a difference?
3: Uh, I think Harris is uh, met, he's talking about the other two subs, Gwai and Fuller. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but not, not, not GTF. <laughs> uh, I mean, two subs did make a difference, and that was uh, guy and um, and Fuller. Yeah. But uh, Fletcher didn't particularly add anything either. I mean, he, all he did was sort of take the place of where Jimmy was was running. On the, uh, on the right wing but uh, I don't think he added anything to it really um, but I, I can't knock the substitution because Gregory and O'Brien just looked absolutely shattered.
1: I mean the, the, the man in block 11 in typically sour acid style um, says that quotes Gregory works hard and finds himself space, I think that's a Neil Harris quote so the man in block 11 says, do you know why Gregory finds space? It's because the defence doesn't give a fuck where he is <laughs> and I think that's kind of harsh actually
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I know Gregory is um, is a split um, opinion among us, but uh, yeah.
1: I like him. I, I like him. I think that's I, harsh.
3: Yeah, I think he's got a lot about him, and uh, <clears throat> it's sad actually because it looks like uh, where he was looking a bit more confident in front of goal. Yeah, he's sort of been pushed out on the wing a bit more because his hold up play is pretty decent. Um, the problem we had yesterday was that we were hoofing the ball up quite a lot.
1: For, you know, the price we pay for the whole back to basics things. it? I mean, there will be a fair old amount of hoofing it forwards and we are hoofing it in all fairness to Gregory and we're hoofing at a bloke who's not the tallest
3: you know and, and all footballers can't be all round you know in their play unless you're a premiership club with millions of pounds yeah. um, you know Gregory looks more good at hold up play to his feet um, in fact O'Brien looks the better in the air of the two so if yeah. we're Bring it forward, then I'd say it should really go to O'Brien. But
1: so do, do you agree with Harris that it could be a good point come the end of the season? I mean, clearly avoiding defeat is your is is your base camp. Um, a good point, do you think, in in an overall?
3: Yeah, I mean, when you look at you know when you look at it on paper, um, it's a good result. Being there, it was it was probably a fairish result. We could have we could have nicked a win, but yeah, uh, we looked so nervy. We kept giving the ball away a lot, um, a lot of. Bad passes, um, especially from Harding, who um, yeah. I sort of spoke up a little bit after the Wigan game. I thought we had a good game against Wigan, but he was pretty appalling on uh on Saturday.
1: I mean, clearly at the end of the season there'll be a clear out. Whichever league we find ourselves in is gonna be a clear out. Um Dan Harding um he hasn't done enough to impress me. I mean, I, I would say he's a he's one to lose. I can't I can't believe we can't get better than him, even within the youth ranks.
3: Well I was saying I was saying that um you know a lot of people don't like Alan Dunn and they say he's he's not very good. And I disagree. I've heard that. I've heard yeah. that well, I disagree with that. When I look at Harding I think I see in Harding what people tell me they see in Dunn. Right. Um, So basically Dan Harding is my Alan Alan Dunn. Is your Alan Dunn. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Now, a couple of tweets you made last night, and I I was interested to talk to you about it. Um, You you referred to the whole Cardiff experience. Um, Now, once upon a time, you and me both know that the Cardiff experience, a Millwall versus Cardiff away game, was a a hair-raising experience, wasn't it? It was old school, a fixture from the... um, from the old days you know um now it's it's become pr- premier league sanitized somewhat from what i'm ga- from what i'm gathering online
3: it was it was actually very sad um i'm not being patronizing like uh, yeah not being patronizing at all uh <clears throat> I, I remember in was it 99 yeah, not, sorry, yeah. That, the, legendary
1: uh, game yeah at Ninian yeah, park
3: yeah yeah the yeah, two war when everything was getting chucked over running battles everywhere you know, even uh, you know, you could feel the tension walking to the ground. Like you know, everyone was talking in Welsh and point <laughs> and, whatnot, and uh, you know, trying to make you feel as intimidated as possible.
1: Yeah.
3: But, and my God, I missed that yesterday. Um, you know, we parked up. Yeah. Uh, we popped into the uh into the restaurant right next to the ground. Had a carvery and a pint, watching the world go by. Very nice. Uh, you know, strolled into the strolled in past the main entrance of Cardiff all the Cardiff fans around yeah you know just chatting away you know um when you you know for some reason when you go away you suddenly speak more cockney than you do anywhere one has to yeah, one has so. to
1: one has to let them know where you come
3: from yeah suddenly you turn into Delboy Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> so we're walking along and uh you know we get to the thing and they're like you know good afternoon gentlemen you know christ see your tickets right go in and the stewards are like you know welcome to Cardiff you know oh I like your t-shirt yeah uh, go yeah. into one one. One one nine, buy your Cardiff merchandise, <laughs> uh, and that's not a joke. They had a Cardiff merchandise stand in the away end.
1: Well, that's, I, I, that would have done some business yesterday. I would have thought. Jesus. Yeah,
3: and then, um, and then there was proceeded to be ninety minutes of pure silence from the home crowd. And I've never, ever, in my memory, been to a ground where the home fans didn't sing once, not once, not no. at all, not, and didn't even get mad at their players. They weren't shouting. Um, the only time that they, had, the only time they got a reaction was when Taylor Fletcher missed, and they started taking a piss. That was the only reaction they had in ninety minutes, right. and um, it was actually quite depressing.
1: Complete lack of soul and, and tradition.
3: Yeah, it's, um, it was, it was horrific. It's like, you know, I think I, I say quite often that I don't want to go in the Premiership because I, I am worried that would happen to us because it almost happened when we reached the FA Cup final. I felt we were getting sanitised a bit.
1: I've got a question. I've got a question here for you, Glenn, i will be interested to hear your answer because I, I, I kind of I know what the answer is in my own head already. I, do you think? And I, I tend to think this that we are the only club that worries about these things. I, I, I wonder whether this is the new normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the Cardiff you've described is not the Cardiff of my 1970s memories and, and the 1980s memories. um, are we the only club that actually looks back at those days and thinks, "Wow, those were the days; those were the the golden eras," and and now is feels like you know you, you you've kind of gone to a I don't know a basketball a British League basketball game where no one really cares who wins and who loses.
3: That's a that's a probably a, a very good question to put out there and and see. I think a lot of the fans that probably miss it are ones that don't go anymore. Like you know, I have quite a lot of Chelsea followers, and they yeah, what their clubs become yeah but they don't go anymore because they've been outpriced
1: by it. I can see West Ham going down the same route. I mean, they're, they're on the brink of moving to the Olympic Stadium, which is not far from where I live. And it's a fantastic venue <clears throat> on, the, on the edge of the Stratford um, you know, shopping centre and all that comes with that. It's, it, it's what I would traditionally call, what, when you go, went to Chelsea, you know, or the, the Chelsea experience now, it's, it's more like um, a day out um, with none of the old school Chelsea experience of the 1970s. And I do wonder whether it's only us that misses that. I, I, I'm increasingly thinking that of alone of all the football clubs, we're the, we, we are like the um, the last island that hasn't been overwhelmed by the sea, you know.
3: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, a lot of people say we're a club stuck in the 80s and I think we, that's what we like about it because... It's true. It, it knows, you know, we're, we're, we're an 80s club in a 90s ground.
1: Um, Long may it remain so. I, I, yeah, I, yeah I,
3: I, I, I think we are almost like a last beacon of what once was, you know, of, and and I think maybe that's the attraction I mean I don't go to watch nice football I don't want to see nice football um, if that makes any sense that's not why I I chose Millwall I went because I fell in love with the atmosphere and the never say die that the players had you know
1: yeah it was interesting there was was a few posts uh, after the uh, Tuesday night win over Wigan which was a decent you know a decent second half performance and I I thought the atmosphere was okay it wasn't the best Millwall atmosphere I've ever heard in, in my life um Reading some of the posts from the Wigan forums, people were saying the atmosphere was toxic. It was like going to Eastern Europe. And, you know, you've got this kind of sense of... Um, it it, was, it is so different to the average football fan's experience now in 2015. We are so different as a club. And if that was an atmosphere that intimidated, well, okay. You know, it wasn't a bad one, but it wasn't the best one we've ever had. So we, we do stick out. We We are increasingly alone it's like it's like um it's it's quite a i'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing
3: well i've got two things to say about Um, them first off is that um you know that that atmosphere against wigan was far more deserving than a tuesday night game against a wigan deserved yeah since um i doubt you'd get many I, i thought it was maybe it's because it's been so bad as well but it felt you know like a proper Millwall atmosphere it was certainly getting
1: Well, as the tackles went in, and again, I'm wondering whether we're alone in this, Glenn, because, you know, other clubs seem to have this idea, a bit like we were stuck with with Holloway, they play beautiful football and they pass it and they want to be, you know, watered down versions of Barcelona. We don't give a shit about that. As soon as the tackles went flying, as soon as there was a bit of a stand-up push and shove and a few uh, hands were raised, the crowd were electric and alive and that's what we go to Millwall for. That's that's what the club is all about. But we, 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 it does feel like we're the only club that gets on with that stuff.
3: Well I was having a bit of an argument, I've had an ongoing argument with one of my mates um, who keeps who keeps saying that our atmosphere is rubbish at home. And, I'm, and I disagree with that because even at its worst, it's, there's still noise. In the yeah. sense, like when you watch highlights or you hear it on the radio, et cetera, et cetera, and you still hear chatter and noise. So it still has this...
1: There's always a bunch of horrible blokes having a go at someone about something yeah, so there's, somewhere there's, in the ground, you know. Yeah,
3: it's one of our own players. Like, you know, <laughs> someone, someone somewhere is getting a bit, of, um, a bit of stick. I mean, I saw a West Ham fan, I think I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but he said about, um, you know, he noticed on, on TV that every time a decision goes against us, like the whole. West or East Stand just goes flying at the linesman.
1: Exactly, there's blokes running down the steps. They want to. They're, they're, yeah, God they're knows they're what they're screaming. You know.
3: Uh, do you see that at any other ground? I don't think so. And I think that's the attraction, really.
1: Well, that's once upon a time, you would have seen it at Cardiff. And from what you're saying there, you didn't see any of that yesterday. So something's changed. That can only be the premierisation of Cardiff. The foam finger up the up the Welsh bum, almost, isn't it? You know.
3: Yeah, or maybe it's just because they uh, they got Scott Malone. And it's just depressed them so much that. Uh, <laughs> They've given up on life.
1: He was subbed. I understand. He got a bit of abuse and was substituted out of the game. Was would he have any impact on the match?
3: Um, only for only the impact he had was for our amusement, really. Um, <laughs> he uh, he looks like a tramp. Um, you know that that haircut should be illegal.
1: He's got a top knot, I believe, a Shoreditch top knot.
3: Yeah, yeah. Any man that has that should be shot on sight. To be honest with you, but uh, it was uh, yeah. He did absolutely bugger all. He he. Uh, uh, letting the ball go out of play, you know, bad control. Uh, I think he put put one half decent cross in uh, and then apparently, um, you know, inverted commas, he got injured.
1: Yeah. And came um, out of the
3: game. And uh, walked off seemingly fine to the amusement of our away fans. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the home fans were cheering as well.
1: Uh, <laughs> something, in it?
3: Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, the Cardiff fans said that they were cheering him getting subbed just as much as we were. So... Um, he certainly made an impression there that's one thing we can say
1: tuesday night is a massive game now glenn um away at blackburn massive massive game <clears throat> i don't think we've got anywhere to go other than forwards on that and and three points is almost an essential if we're going to take anything into derby next saturday
3: yeah i think this is um
1: <clears throat> this is it now isn't
3: it yeah i mean to be f- i mean realistically it's our game in hand so there is, to me, no harm in just absolutely going for it. No, Cause At the end of the day, if we lose, there is still a chance. You've
1: uh, got the I FA think. and their 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 panel, yeah. which we, you know, will be will be the last um, last piece of wreckage of the as the ship sinks, you know, as the Titanic goes down. Um, but yeah, a win on Tuesday is an essential. Uh, and then if you know, if if the FA do do their job as they should, then that puts us in front of Rotherham if if we can pull off three points there. Massive game, massive game. Um, but
3: go, it's, a, it's a case of. It gives us the chance to put the fate in our hands rather than, yeah, in others. You know, for me, we might as well just go for it. If we lose, we lose. Realistically, have no right to be where we are now to have this chance of getting out of it, considering how bad it's been. No, um, you know, Harris has installed um, hope. You know, it might be false hope, but it's hope. Yeah. Um.
1: And that's what kills you, Glenn. That's what, yeah, kills,
3: hope
1: you. Is what kills you. Yeah. Fantastic. Well done for getting down there yesterday. You succeeded where I failed um really appreciate the match report this morning mate short notice and I, I, I you know thank you very much for that and uh thanks for all your help on the show this season glenn it's been fantastic no, it's mate.
3: Still, yes, but thank you for having me on it's, uh, it's been good Achtung,
1: all right then big welcome to the show now to previous guest denzel welcome back dens
2: good to be back Thank you, mate. Yeah,
1: now, we and me speaking speaking um, in the aftermath of a good win the other night over uh, Wigan. Oh, despite the euphoria of the result the other night, I mean, obviously we're still deeply in the mire at the moment, and my eye was caught by an article that you posted on the House of Fun the other day. I thought it was a really interesting piece you did there, um, and it's headlined the real reason that we're going down, presuming that we do indeed go down, though we hope we won't, of course. Yeah. Um, and you've identified our what we might as well call our shocking track record in, in the transfer market.
2: Yeah, so what prompted it is that we keep, obviously we're, we're struggling, or we're, we were struggling, we're doing a bit better now. Yeah. Hopefully, if the football league intervene, we may be doing even better. Yeah. But, uh, the, people will always say, you put you put. It for, oh, we, we should be doing this, we should be doing that, oh, we can't compete at this level, everyone can spend millions and we can't. Yeah. I think, well, we have actually spent quite a bit of money, we're just not really spending it in the right place. Um, we may not have money, millions to lavish on the two million pound strikers left, right, and centre, or, or eleven million pound strikers if you're full.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, but we we have invested a lot of money in a lot of players, and you sometimes think, well, if that money had been better spent, where would we be now?
1: It's it's really striking. I mean, it's it's actually a really good thread, I and mean, it's um you know the house of funds often full up with. Um sausages and UKIP and God knows what else but it's actually a really yeah. good interesting thread from a Millwall perspective because I mean you've you know you've lifted the um since 2011 you lifted all of the players that we've signed in that time and there's some some fascinating names in there ones I'd forgotten for um you know or even I'll them out of my memory completely um the likes of uh I mean Justin Hoyt's in there but another name that caught my eye was Aaron Lee Bennett And i would completely forgotten that he ever existed Oh, yeah, like... Mr.
2: Mr. Barrett, he was a. Uh, was a we, were, we had no goalkeepers apparently, didn't we? At the start of the season, Ford was injured and we got someone in yeah. on
1: the
2: bench once, and that was it.
1: Now, I mean, now it's mentioned, I mean, it comes back to me, but I've completely forgotten. I thought it was like a country DJ or something, Aaron Lee Bennett. Like, <laughs> late night with Aaron Lee Bennett. Um, but, I mean, the, the point you're making is good. I mean, with the signings that we've made, the, the, the fees and and the, the signing on on costs and so on have been listed as 2.2 million. I mean, that's always a an estimate, but we're, I think it's probably a fair estimate. And then you've taken a stab at uh, the wage costs for those players. So we've had... Um, Forty-seven players, I think, sixty-seven. Sorry, excuse me, sixty-seven yeah. players signed since 2011, and signing on fees have been two point two million. And we're speculating a little bit because we have to yeah. that wages will be in the region of ten million for these these players, most of whom have been well various degrees of um, failure, apart from the odd standout like Chris Ward, who was only with us for a very brief period of time. Well,
2: I think the, the thing that stands out is that how many of those players have contributed long term. If you look at how many of them have come in for six games, five games, so in some cases, some of them have been signed, played a couple of sub games and disappeared again. Yeah, You've got yeah. People like we, uh, one name jumps out, Paul Connolly.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: We signed a right back who on us. what was it, a three, four months deal. and He played a couple of games. He was absolutely useless.
1: Nondescript, I think, yeah. is, 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 is a polite way to put it. Nondescript. Useless yeah. is probably more realistic,
2: yeah. Um, and, and there's lots of players that sort of jump out on like that. We brought in as the stock gaps were in in, in any well run club you'd expect maybe a, a youth player to to have stepped in we had players we were signing players almost to sort of pack
1: out the bench I mean there's a lack of coherent strategy I mean it's just interesting I'm running my eye over these names I mean the, the successful ones we've got clearly Steve Morrison was a success although I'm guessing that was his second stint actually on because it's since 2011 that this list is yeah. so the, the second less successful stint Steve Morrison I mean you know you clearly got Chris Wood who was with us for a very brief period of time was a revelation and then was gone and never to return Um Players like Bennik Afobe. I mean, you know, we were chasing him under Holloway, I believe, and and you know, I've forgotten he actually did play for us briefly a few years ago. Yeah,
2: that oh. was a little bit unfortunate because he well, he he looked quite promising. Apart from he was played on the wing by a Jacket. Yeah, um, but uh, he got knee injury and, and he finished it. He, he would have been as, he could have probably, had, well, possibly had the same sort of impact that, that Kane had for us. Um, we'll never know, but um, it was a bit greener than he, than he is now. It was it two years, two three
1: years ago? Now I suppose the nearest thing to a successful signing. I'm just looking at Darius Henderson. I know this might generate a few laughs around the uh, the internet message boards. I mean, Darius Henderson, in terms of goal return, you could argue of those signings was the closest thing to a successful um, yeah. successful signing. There. Other than that, it's a fairly large litany of failure, isn't it? Really, when you look
2: through those names. Just, just running from those people like well, Chris Taylor was a, a decent signing, but again, yeah. he was he, we had a year, an injury-troubled year of him, and then he was gone again. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could argue that and has
1: been a decent signing. It, 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 with the benefit, and now, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. I mean, I think for the most of his period, you wouldn't have said that. But I mean, you look. At, I'm looking at Matthias Renegi in there, <laughs> Frederick Bessoni. <laughs> this, this is yeah. where the, this is where the true wine of life lies, isn't it? It's uh, it's in these little um, odd, I mean, I'd forgotten Owen Owen Garvin played for us as well. I mean, I, yeah. I actually thought he was fairly decent when he played for us. Uh, but even
2: you look at this, what you would consider su- sort of successes, Harry Kane um, and people like that. They they're not our player.
1: No, no, but they don't. They, they,
2: yeah. they had short-term impact, and once they'd moved on, all the money we'd spent on them—where where did that go? I know it probably wasn't a lot in sort of Harry Kane's case, but in some of the other cases. So I mean, we've, we've invested money in a player that isn't ours. No, with the following week or the following season, we've got to rebuild a squad again, and it's again it's short-term fixes, little stop gaps, and it was like, there was no no sort of coherence. I think. Let me to about the second part. With the amount of players that went out, it's just sort of a sheer turnover of players. I think has been one of the main problems.
1: It's incredible. We've
2: we've signed bad players. No, signing seventeen players a season is bad enough. But when you've got a lot of those are there for six weeks and they're out again, and another player comes in, how can you build any sort of settled side?
1: Well, it's impossible. I mean, sixty-seven players signed in since twenty eleven. Um, we're guessing at a cost including fees and wages of twelve point two million, which is a substantial sum of money by anyone's reckoning. And on the on the, on the outgoing, so you know we've forty seven players left in that time, um, and for that we've recouped up. Was it was it two um, three million pounds? I think we've yeah. so effectively we spent twelve million to generate three million in terms of um, our return, which is business madness. You know, and
2: you have to remember that most of that money is Steve Morrison.
1: Yeah, two point two million was Steve yeah. Morrison. I <laughs> so, you know, it, it, Moore, I mean, I always think of Moore as a small business, which effectively is what it is. It's not massively, it's not massive company in in, in the modern world. But you, you know, most small businesses in this world, Denz. I mean, they, they live and die on their ability to to react to the market and and to you know um, to look for the deal, don't they? We're we're, yeah. f- we're failing on all fronts by that by anyone's reckoning, and in, in in terms of our business, which is. Creating and generating players, hopefully to sell on at a profit.
2: Uh, it comes back to that, that short term. Uh, we are we, we're going to struggle to, to compete with everyone. flying we'll, you, we'll we'll get someone in and that will keep us up this year. That that will get us mid table. Yeah. Whereas at that point in two thousand and eleven, we'd finish ninth in the league. We had a, we didn't have a great squad, but we had a lot of players players in there that regardless obviously what we're thinking of now. Had sort of substantial promise. People like Trotter and. henry and a few a few others yeah we obviously needed to replace some of the old guard that got us up originally that probably wouldn't have cut it long term at this level but that summer a minimal investment of say or the 2.2 million that we would see for morrison and whatever but a bit on top of that and signing say four or five players i'm not talking about spending two million pounds on those on individual players but a 500 grand here or 700 grand there and and target players that you actually needed to improve the squad, that also would have had a sell-on value, would, see us in a, would have seen us in a fairly strong position. And the season we'd had, we surely should have been able to attract players that subsequently have had decent careers at this level, people like Matt Ritchie here at Bournemouth now, yeah. Charlie Daniels at Bournemouth. And these players were there, but we chose to sort of go for the quick fixes whilst teams below us were sort of signing these, these players.
1: I mean it's interesting I mean you know obviously as the thread goes along people try to allocate blame for this and you know I I I, I slightly go around in circles on this because I'm on the, on the one hand the board the board of directors sets the strategy for the business they say what they want and what the, how they want to achieve it and yet football is the strangest business of all in that they then devolve power for that if there is a strategy, they devolve it down to one individual who then can often go off and he's sailing on his own own course entirely, as we've seen with each of the three managers, in fairness, Jacket, Lomas and, and Holloway prior to Harris. Yeah,
2: well, I'd love
1: to know what the strategy has been for the last four years. Uh, I, I, I can't <laughs> imagine it takes up more than about an A5 bit of paper. If you ever find
2: <laughs> out, let me know, Dan, because I'd like yeah. to know that too. <laughs> so, I mean, Obviously, Jacket was the... the it, we always we were always told Jacket had money to spend, but he treated it like his own, and he was always careful. He, he treated it; he didn't want to waste money where he didn't think it was needed. But surely the the board yesterday they they knew they invested a, a lot in Jacket and they trusted him implicitly. In what he was doing yeah. at the same time, the board's got to have a vision for what where the club wants to go. Do we want to be a self self sort of self financing business where? we're developing young players, selling players on, so at least we're not having to rely on Premier League parachute payments and everything else compete at Championship level. yeah. Or was it literally a case of this is our budget, you've got to manage in it, and that's it, the budget won't change. And, and it appeared to me that all, they, all the board were concerned about under all of these managers was they set a budget. And as long as the club rang in that budget, no matter what happened, they were happy. But then every <laughs> now and again, stuff started going wrong, and they were... Panic a bit and chuck a bit more
1: money out. I mean the strategy that strategy you've just identified, which is set a budget and, and manage the business within that is is fair enough. I mean that, that, that's that's business sense in anyone's world, isn't it? That you you know you hopefully operate within a certain parameter and um, you know, if you you succeed or fail within that. But the it, you are you, right. We we've then gone on to kind of panicky kind of moments where we, we seem to absorb a million and one players with no great purpose and any sense of strategy such as there was has gone out the window. Because of short-term yeah. short-term requirements.
2: Well, yeah, go, go back to that, that sort of the first part of the, that, that post. That 2011 summer, we'd lost Morrison. Yeah. We had a chance to build this. We needed to... We had a, a great position to rebuild the squad, but we didn't. I think we signed three or four players on three transfers. Obviously spent big money on wages with, with Henderson. Yeah. But it didn't work, and we basically got ourselves into a bit of trouble. Came January, and suddenly... um. JB, God bless him, is lavishing, not lavishing money, but he, he, he put about, about 1.2 million quid up. And we signed the likes of Keo and Lowry and a few other players came in. Yeah, And you're thinking, well, why didn't we do that in the summer? If you'd done that in the summer, you'd have been on a settled side. You would have been replacing like, like for like. And you would have made the squad stronger and you would have been in a position where the squad was actually on the up. The finish nights, we were going places. Instead, all of that sort of momentum drained away by the time we got to January we were in a relegation battle and it picked up a little bit again. But in the following summer the same thing happened. Any momentum we'd gained from staying up. Yeah. With Kane and Keo doing their bit just drained away with a lack of business and a lack of sort of input. And it just every every transfer window we always seem to be Hanging on each of our keyboards, was waiting for that magic
1: signing, and it never appears. <laughs> we seem to have a total—we, we, we in, the, in the in the board of directors sense, have a total aversion to to risk until it's forced upon us in the most dire and desperate of circumstances. Because I'm just looking at th- through some of the players we have signed, and then, in all fairness, there there have been some promising young players in that mix. i mean, Benik We've talked about is now commanding, you know, substantial fees elsewhere, um, but. Uh, Chris Wood, also probably another good example, even to a degree, Martin Wackhorn in uh, when when he was with us, it's this, it, it's the sense that I do, you know, they almost get frozen in the headlights of the oncoming lorry there, Denz, don't they? That they will they spend the money now on this chancy um, you know, young prospect who might turn out to be uh, a failure or. Or do we go for the cautious view and, and not spend it now and go for some other sticking plaster approaches? the phrase has it mentioned many times in the Fred. I
2: suppose we've had our fingers burnt a couple of times recently. People like McCoy, where we invested a bit of
1: money, even even Malone, I suppose. Yeah, McCoy but, uh, came well rated, didn't they? I we did, we did um we did go after him, we got him, and then he, he he was a he he wasn't a success. I don't know what's happened to him, he's disappeared off the face of, of the earth so far as I can tell. So yeah, they they did get their fingers burned but you know, it's the essence of the business that we're in, isn't it? That, you know, you yeah. judiciously made signings, judicious investment, uh, and hopefully, the, you know, 60% plus the time, you return a profit on it. That's what other clubs yeah. do. Yeah,
2: and one thing, the club, um, I, we had a lot of problems when Jacket took over and we had to make certain decisions. But the, re, the decision to close the academy and scale back all of the, the sort of player recruitment, as it were, has hurt us in the long-term immensely. Yeah. The the lack we we've been signing players to cover positions. we've been signing players to sit on benches, we've been signing players just to I think just fill up seats on the coach sometimes. Where <laughs> we you should be looking at certain games, you think well, why do we need one I think at one point last year or the year before we had something like four or five right backs and I think only one of them belonged to us. Yeah. And so it was and it, it was a case of well surely we must have a youngster somewhere that can competently fill in on the bench as a right back. And it seemed to be for the best part of four years, we've had nothing. And then hopefully now we've, we've suddenly gotten we're in a position where if we are signing players, we're signing players to improve the team, not to pad it out. We've got players that can come in and, if, if need be, hopefully step up and become first team players. But at least they're there to supplement the squad. Um, a, a lot of that money, if you go back to that, so much of that money has been spent on players that have had no impact whatsoever at the club
1: no it's, 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 I mean, it's why the, the poster is really interesting it's, it's just um, fascinating to see it laid out in that way because when you look at it from that point of view 12 million pounds to you know have no impact on the squad to put us into a situation now where we're highly likely to still get relegated and we've only recouped 3 million pounds of that I mean it, it's you do feel for John Berrelson because it must be—it must feel like it's a one-way street from his bank account, going off, you know, being thrown into the River Thames practically.
2: And, and the other thing on the back of that is that hopefully, hopefully now with a young first coming through, we will have some playing assets. All that money invested and what have we got to
1: show for it? It's quite damning on on the board and on the management in in their different functions, really, because. You're right, there's been no coherent plan. No, no. I'm, uh, interesting, I'm just looking through the, the thread in that uh, Toby Porter, the reporter with the South London Press, did actually say there was one strategy. Ian Holloway did have a strategy, apparently, um, and that was to improve the squad, get rid of the uh, players who weren't good enough, but he had too much faith in his own ability to persuade named players to come in. Um, so, if that was a strategy, then that wasn't very, you know, it was, that was a failed strategy in itself, wasn't it? Because that never worked out. I think
2: the players you listed about improved quality, Same, Jermaine Pennant, Chris Eagles, yeah. has been, but on the way down, Sam Hutton turned the down in the summer, I think he's got chip on the stand, and he's barely, barely paid through injury. Yeah. So, they've made a strategy, but I'm not sure it was the right one.
1: <laughs> I mean, Bournemouth seemed to have a strategy, and they seem to be functioning very, very well. i admit, I mean, they've some decent backing, but you know when you look through the the range of signings and the and places where they've gone to go and get these players, they, you know these are the ki- same kinds of clubs and the same kind of non-league situations that we should be looking at with a view to picking up these you know judiciously signed players come, that are coming in from nowhere.
2: Yeah, it might be on the same thread. I don't know. Uh, at least we're a team that beat Brighton. Yeah. Um, on a on a Friday night. Yeah. And, and I
4: think
2: there's something like seven or eight players that they had. Together in the last couple of years, that cost them, I think in total probably less than two million, not much, and they came from the likes of Hereford, Torquay, Woking, Bryan's reserves, and a few other places. The one big signing they'd made was obviously Callum Wilson, who's got all the goals. But then that was that was funded by them buying Lewis Grabban for peanuts and selling him on for yeah $7 some million. decent money. That's, That's right. Yeah. Uh, so and that, it looks like they're, they're you never know these Bournemouth appears to have done very well this year and gone beyond. But you look at a team like Brentford, they may end up mirroring us perhaps where they don't they may lose some players in someone and they may not replace them. But both of those clubs seem to have had a strategy over the sort of two, three seasons.
0: Oh, it wouldn't be more
1: if it was well run, Dans, would it? That's that's fantastic, mate. Um at least
2: it looks like he's changing now.
1: Yeah, back to basics, which is um you must
2: know, be 4 four two. I'm
1: loving it. I'm loving it. Have you tuned in like <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least we're seeing some shots on goal. That, that, that in itself is a refreshing, refreshing change. That's fantastic, Dan's. I really appreciate your time, mate. Um, thanks for coming on the show, and hopefully speak to you again next season. Yeah,
2: good evening. Thanks a
1: lot. Thanks a lot, mate. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.
3: Achtung, Mailball. Mailball.
1: Right, welcome back to the show, and a big welcome now to our regular uh, correspondent, Craig Griffiths. Welcome to the show, Craig.
4: Thank you very much.
1: Um, we've just been listening to quite a nice little piece by Denzel um, on the the failings, and, and, and the utter shambles, actually, when you, when you stop and look at it, of the Millwall yeah. transfer record over the past few years. Um, it's quite a poor record when you step back and look at it, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I think he he essentially revealed our worst kept secret. <laughs> uh, he, he, everyone's known it, but he then put it in you know numbers, yeah, uh, in terms of finances and players, which has made it seem even worse. You know, you he, he didn't think it was you thought it was bad, but you didn't think it was that bad.
0: No,
1: it is, and um, it's true. I, I've never seen it laid out in in such stark terms, and you know the numbers just speak for themselves. You know the the outlay of 12 million quid on you know and these are guess figures so we have to keep saying that but yeah. they, they can't be far from the truth um so 12 million quid spent in 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 um fees wages um you know any other little bumps you have to give to people to get these players in and a, a return of 3 million in terms of and, that, and 2. point something of that was was Steve Morrison going outwards
4: incredible yeah. it, well it, it it sort of beggar's belief really but it just shows exactly what a lot of people said about how you know some people argue we don't have the money to spend yet over that period of time we clearly have had the money to spend we just do not spend it well we you know from from the ground upwards from the academy onwards we just have not had a a strategy other than sort of papering over giant cracks with several players
1: yeah um i mean you know the Often the, the message boards are often that they're the jungles and often the good points get lost in, you know, a flurry of abuse and, um, you know, ultra right wing um, opinions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but often there are, you know, there, there are some real insights and, and many, many people have made it from different directions and made the point that our, our football club seems to lack football experience at, at, at the highest levels. And then it places its faith in, in personalities. And the most recent example is Ian Holloway, of course.
4: Yeah, absolutely. This is my thing with um, Ambler that I always seem to be going on about recently is that he was a great accountant for Fulham. Yeah. But clearly didn't set them up to be a team that was going to succeed football-wise because they're obviously in the shambles they are now. Yeah. Um, and the same seems to be with us. He was—he seemed to be great at keeping whatever J, budget JB had set, but in terms of actually sorting out football personnel or a football strategy for the club, yeah. there's been none whatsoever. Um, and that, for me, it, it, for him, to say that he's not on the football side, he is. He's inherently on the football side because we're a football club. You can't be part of that big a part of a football club and not be on the football side.
1: Well, our business is football um, and ultimately that means winning winning matches um, and also as, as, as a kind of a major, um, the other 50% of winning matches is producing players, finding players for cheap prices and selling them for expensive prices. Therein lies the route to, to happiness, doesn't it?
4: Absolutely. I mean, the biggest, I mean, a few people point out, but I think the biggest failing of Kenny Jacket was either he chose to or allowed uh, uh, John Berylsen to close the academy, which I was, was I was really surprised with considering he came from, I think, Manchester City's academy, yeah. we, we plucked him from. Um, so he surely knew the merits of a, of a youth system, but maybe being part <clears> of Man City's academy, he thought that youth systems were futile anyway because they were spending millions and billions of pounds on players. Um, but that's that's where it all started. And from there, we then couldn't produce our own. So whenever we had a gap, we had to you know have a quick fix I think as Denzel kept saying we had all these quick fixes
1: and my gosh there have been some well I don't know if they're they're fixes there's certainly been quicks I mean I'm just looking this season alone I mean there's there's a real masochistic pleasure in in reading through these names and 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 players I mean you know Angel Martinez is is does he exist anymore I mean he he came in with fanfare didn't he and we've barely seen the man
4: well, he is—he is true to his name, isn't he? He's an angel. <laughs> We've never seen him, but you—you you think he must be there if you—if you pray hard enough.
1: There. Um, you know, Tom Tom King, Crystal Palace. He's a goalkeeper, I believe. Isn't he Tom King. I, I, mm. There are players here that you think oh, I can't actually remember them. I know the, the names are familiar. Um,
4: well, Howard Atzer, I remember—I remember him, but it, I thought for me it, it seems like an age ago that he was here. Uh, yeah. and his—and his. And his Sort of weird. We seem to be getting the wrong attitude players as well. We have all these play- these divas. I didn't know we, we we could. We had an eye for so many divas.
1: <laughs> it's like um, what was that nightclub? I, mean, I don't know the nightclub at Charing Cross actually. But <laughs> I've heard about the nightclub at Charing Cross it used to be called Heaven back in the days, but it is it is packed with um, you know uh, as as you rightly say disco divas almost. It, it's quite an odd period in in history yeah. but um you know it's a hard truth that you know if you know Andy Ambler we'll, we'll bring him back to the uh back to the forefront of our conversation because okay um an accountant is is, is a fine and honorable profession but the essence of accountancy is that there's a balance sheet isn't there that you want to be on the black side of the of the the balance sheet and not on the red side and we're deeply on the red side on those on those figures deeply
4: Absolutely, and that that is all through trying to be on the black side um, every single year. Whereas, what companies and strategies sometimes do is they will say, sort of speculate to accumulate, and they will say, right, we will take a hit in this year's budget because the players we're investing in um, will see us through the next couple of years. But then, if you look at our contract strategy, we don't seem to have a a sort of uh, even a two year plan on contracts. No. Go looking at outgoing players. You look at uh, like Chris Taylor. Yeah, his contract potentially should have been sorted. I know he had injury problems, but if he was that kind of player that was going to be decent anyway, he's the type of player that possibly shouldn't have had that situation where, when Kenny left, you know he was going to be out of contract and was available to leave. So, you know, it's it's, and we we just don't seem we the, the players we got rid of. We have, have we got any better? Andy Frampton and Tony Craig. Did we really get any better kind of defenders over that period of time?
1: Well, in some ways, I mean. I, I, I'm... Separate. I'm doing a little uh, piece on Jimmy Abdu, and in a way, the story of Jimmy Abdu is the story of the likes of Tony Craig and, and Frampton to a degree, because each of them, in their time, were seen as limited players, mm. and we were going to aspire to um, be the bermondsey Barcelona. Each of the three managers, in their different ways, Kenny um, had a nervous breakdown versus Swansea and decided that you know everything he knew was wrong, yeah. and now we've got to pass the ball like we're uh, you know. We, we've we've come from the, the the football top table, and then Lomas tried to bring in this so-called modern style. I don't know whether you called it a Christmas tree anymore, but it's some kind of formation, you know, that isn't the traditional Millwall style. It was,
4: it was Scottish. I don't know if it was modern. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Scottish take on modern. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Holloway also came in with this fine talk that we were going to play a certain way, and you know, pass the ball, and we played relentlessly with the one striker that didn't score any goals. Um, all in the name of modernity. Um, and, the, the, you know, you're right. I mean, the, the likes of Craig and Frampton are seen as old school industrial, um, you know, football from the past, weren't they? And exactly. Yet, and yet but, somehow we come full circle back to Harris's keep it simple approach that we've been reading about in the week.
4: Well, exactly. You can have, you know, the most skillful, um, fastest defenders in the world, but. If that striker knows he's going to get a clump or two during the game, he's probably not going to be as keen to make those runs. No, and that's that's the kind of thing that they. I mean, if you even look at even our injury-prone players, the quality of them has changed. You're Sean Bat, at least when he played, he was he was all right. Well, he, we gave he, he, he gave a shit. He gave a shit. That's <laughs> sure. You know, you know, he only played like three games, but we saw him. He, yeah. We've got now Justin Hoyt. That's our new injury-prone player. You know, that's, <laughs> it's just even the quality of our bad players is that's
1: saying (laughs) so when even when when your crap has gone downhill you know even the worst players are awful oh dear i I, it's it's an interesting insight and and i i I just you know i wanted to speak to denzel for that reason because it i personally hadn't seen it laid out in such such clear terms and you can't argue with those figures at all a massive waste of resources these past five years have been awful in mill terms
4: i mean i i wonder what the Board, did the board do that kind of thing do they has anyone actually laid these figures out in the boardroom and said like this is this is what's happened whose fault is this like what what do we need to change what's what's going on
0: well
1: you'd kind of hope so wouldn't you these are is supposed to be successful you, businessmen you, you, I'm, you, I'm a housing manager what do i know i don't make money for anyone you know oh, um, exactly. you know this is um this is what you'd hope businessmen would do I mean, I don't know. What was it like at the top level of business? I don't know. Do they live in a? I
4: have no idea. But this is what I'm wondering: if <laughs> you know, Ambler, what he'd do is he he might put these figures, and Alfie Ed would just throw down a a bloody uh, load of money for a Michael Jackson statue. <laughs> I don't know. Problem solved. But you don't. One.
1: You don't have to. I mean, you know, fair play to Denzel. I mean, I think where he's gone for his 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 information is the likes of the Millwall History site, and then and and, and use probably a a two pound fifty calculator to add up the, the add up the <laughs> numbers, you know. This this isn't um I don't know, you know, some, some kind of Harvard business school um you know, clipboard wielding iPad toting uh guru, is it? I mean it, yeah, it, it's only bothered it's bothered it? to you look. Use a hashtag, Millwall. <laughs> <Be all Millwall. laughs> I think Bill Millwall is to spend a fortune and get nothing in return. Um Harris is has gone on record this week speaking to News at Den that he wants to keep it simple in terms of playing style, and I, I personally, this is manner from heaven for me, as you can appreciate, Craig. This is what I've always screaming for. It. This is what I've know. always wanted ever since I, 1972, my first match. Is all <laughs> I've ever wanted. Um, and he's, he's he's mentioned the likes of Kenny Jacket, who he's worked under, and, and the idea that you get back to a, a Millwall form of basic play, which is, I guess, direct. You get men men wide, and you know, and as we saw on, on uh, in the week, I don't know if you were at the game in the week, but it was we were much much more in people's faces. This is an old fashioned Millwall approach, um, and, and long may it continue. Um, but he also mentions Ray Harford as who I've forgotten he actually worked under him when Harford was it was at the club few years ago um i mean uh, you you do need quality to play it simple and to play the mills style Uh, i've just written a note to myself it's much easier when you're playing the likes of Stephen reed tim Cahill, um you know and and, and paul eiffel um than if you're playing with uh, uh, matthias reneghi and and, uh, (laughs) Stefan mayerhofer
4: but (laughs) but all of that obviously is 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 with hindsight because when they first came through i remember everyone was slating eiffel you know A few games because he'd beat his man and then come back and try and beat him again and lose the ball. And you know, my dad always used to say that um, he does so many things with his feet, he doesn't even know what he's doing. Ends up, you know, he gets past the guy, but he doesn't know how he's done it.
1: No, Um, no. I mean, you need you need the mix. The the keeping simple is is a mix, isn't it? You need your hard men. You need your, your 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 flamboyant players, and and you need that. You always need someone that you've got to. Pin all the blame for whatever, whether you win or lose, onto it. It comes at a turf. Um, but yeah, I, the, the keep it simple approach. I'm, I'm just thinking here. I mean, the, the the need is therefore to to sign quality players, and the, and this is clearly and also an area where we failed miserably.
4: Yeah, I mean, Holloway seemed to rely on Holloway the brand. Yeah, as, as and what way. a brand that was. And he over, <laughs> I think he really overestimated because. One, I don't know if he thought that we were going to be impressed by signings like Gary Taylor-Fretcher and um, Ricardo Fuller when clearly they're sort of almost as old as our fan base. Um,
1: <laughs> as old as me, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, when Holloway said stuff like, you know, what can I do? I, you know, I can only sign these aged aged um, championship players because no one wants to play for us. Now looking back, I don't. I'm not sure it was us that was the problem.
1: No, 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 no. I, I, you know, I, you know, just those three names I've written here: Cahill, Reid, thought, Well, they weren't bothered about whatever reputation people may or may not put onto the club. I mean, it, it, you you do have to look at the the source of the information, don't you? And Ian Holloway has been proven to be a flawed manager,
4: absolutely. And I just think he he if people if people have the same opinions to those old players as our players obviously do about Holloway, I was surprised to read. Um, I think it was a Mike McGuire Gay interview. Yeah. Uh, now in training, we're working with the ball more. Well, if Holloway's <laughs> doing a passing style of football, what was he doing? What were we working with?
1: I, I always think it's good good news when a football team practices with the ball <laughs> yeah I, was, I, was,
4: I thought we were doing this new attractive passing style and we never worked with the ball which, is, which was clearly evident in how we played under Holloway
1: years ago there's we this,
4: never saw the football
1: there's a chapter in Eamon Dunphy's book where I, I think the, the mill coach back in the early 70s was a so-called forward-thinking man and he, he came up with an idea where you, you you didn't train with the ball because that meant that when you actually got on the field of play you were hungry for it you wanted the ball so it was a bit <laughs> Like um, I don't, well, not Pavlov's dog that's the wrong, wrong but it's that idea that the more you get you slavering for the for the football the hungry you are when you get on the pitch the more desire you'll have I mean it's utter bollocks where do these people come from um, I, I, I don't know but just one other thing I wanted to to move on to um, clearly Harris um, in his piece on the news he kind of acknowledges that he is he, inexperienced in, in football terms and um, he he it, we've, we've also had two individuals now that we are using for um, for various purposes. We've got Andrew Mills, who is our head of recruitment, which sounds very posh and sounds like he should be working for um, HSBC Bank or somewhere, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, head of HR, um, head of recruitment, which is um, designed, we are told, to in, improve our scouting and therefore tackle this issue that we've Denzel and and we've just spoken about of mm. failed signings, um, but also as a mentor, uh, Steve Coppel um, as a sounding board, as it's described here for for Neil Harrison for for David Livermore. You and me had a conversation on on Twitter about this. Now you're you're not in favour of it, Craig are you?
4: No, I not in favour of
1: Coppel specifically, I, 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 to be clear.
4: Well, I'm not a fan of Coppel specifically. I mean, the man's had two. Bre- he's had he's only one breakdown away from being the same as Ian Holloway. so it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> you know maybe not being under the pressure of being manager would change that but no i, I don't agree with i don't see the need for if a, if a manager is inexperienced that's fine if you if you go to if you start a new job and you're inexperienced you know they don't hire someone else you know all the time to, to look after you you sort of gain experience by doing the job um neil harris needs to be allowed to make mistakes and my problem is who would or be answerable to because if he's hired officially as a sounding board and Harris disagrees with him because Harris wants to do it his own way and we lose and we start losing and Koppel says to Andy Ambler, he's not listening to me. Who gets the flack? Does Koppel lose his job or does Harris, by (coughs) virtue of the fact he's not listening to Koppel,
1: lose his job? Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I mean, I'm just reading the article as as we're speaking and I'm, I'm getting a sense that it's a fairly loose loose arrangements i don't know if he's paid per phone call or what like there's a taxi meet <laughs> a taxi meter that runs when he that's how you work with lawyers isn't it they they, they charge you per minute don't they so it's
4: like a manager's babe station or something
1: yeah and you have to pay extra to get more you know deeper and better advice you know exactly. there's a separate channel where it's full on you know um yeah so uh, harris says that um and this is just A quote from the news: Then Harris says that Livers and I have a lot of knowledge about this club and what a Mill team and a Mill player requires. But where we fall short is our years of experience on the touchline. Um, So I'm guessing that he's what he's saying is that he's been plunged into the job um, unexpectedly, so replacing an experienced, so-called experienced manager, and he's he's trying to he's thrown in the deep end, so to speak, Craig, and now he's trying to swim, isn't
4: he? Absolutely, but that's. Managers do that. That's that's how Sean Dyche did that. I don't think Sean Dyche had anyone who was overly like who was officially hired as his sort of mentor. He had no. ideas. That's that's how these managers um, break out. You know, um, uh, Brendan Rodgers. He was under um, Jose Mourinho, but he. He essentially came up with his own style and philosophy and, and way of doing things at, at Swansea, and Martinez was the same. And yeah, these these, these managers need to be allowed. To, I know I'm using famous names, but even
1: well, they, I mean, it's a good it's a good choice. I mean, Marino yeah. himself worked under Bobby Robson, and you know, if you're going to work under anyone's a quality manager there that you you would choose. You know, a man with a huge depth of knowledge of the game generally. Um, so I so suppose that's what I'm picking up a little bit here is that. Um, Clearly, Neil Harris understands Mill. We've seen that in the in the results. I mean, he's, he's played seven, he's won two, drawn three and lost two and compare and contrast that with a previous clown that didn't have a clue about the club. Um, so he clearly understands Mill War and that's that's fantastic. That's what we want. But management extends further than just Zampa Road, doesn't it? And I think maybe that's what he's trying to uh, tap into a little bit. Yeah,
4: absolutely. And I think the other thing I think is is the reason we shouldn't hire Koppel or anyone as a, as a overall mentor is because he needs to be able to get ideas from different people. He needs to be able to use, um, Kenny jacket. He needs to be able to use Steve Koppel. He needs to be able to use, um, Mark McGee. Yeah. Um, you know, all, 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 these, all these old managers, you know, um, you know, McGee and Strachan are, you know, doing quite well for the, for the national team and McGee probably still has ideas that that Harris would be able to pick and pick and choose and stuff like that and even old players who might have worked with different managers you know um, Tim Cahill probably got a wealth of knowledge from David Moyes that Harris might be able to tap into as well you know it's there's I think to stick all our eggs in the couple uh, basket would be madness
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just—it seems that he is kept at a phone call distance. I mean, he was at the game at Charlton, and they may not let him in any any more than you know, one to get free ticket every so often or something. Um, but he's kept at a phone calls, um, you know, length contact. Yeah. Uh, also speaking to Neil Ardley over at Wimbledon AFC Wimbledon, apparently too. So um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's one for the listeners. If you're listening to this, what do you think? Do you think that? Uh, we should retain Steve Koppel. We will know he's a palace cunt, don't we? We that that comes, that's that's a given. But I was
4: I was kind. I didn't mention that. No, we well, got <laughs> to mention it. You can't, you know. You
1: can't. At some point, I've, in the last couple of pieces I've done on Steve Koppel, I've always had to get that in there because yeah. it's, it's the truth, and you can't hide from the truth. So let me know. Let's let us know what you think to that appointment.
4: And he'd. Had, he, but the other thing is, if he chose on to do recruitment, then where does this leave <laughs> our Andrew? one of our several Andes we've got. Um, it's like the hear, no evil, speak, no evil. Right now. <laughs> well, Head of um,
1: Recruitment also recruits the, the, the people serving behind the uh, the hot dog stands and, you know, the program and, <laughs> Yeah, Exactly. Uh, they don't have yeah. lotto tickets anyway. We don't have 50-50, of 50, do we? But it would be well, covering that.
4: The role I was wondering if he was going to play was the same as, um, I've forgotten the chap's name, but the guy at Southampton who basically, you know, he's there to, to and they have prospects for every level. So they know that, if Ronald Koeman leaves or when even um, Pochettino left they had Ronald Koeman that was it he was already there lined up and I'm wondering because that's what that's what a team needs they need that kind of people are too reactive when we hire managers and sack managers you need to have sort of a a coherent plan and you need to have the same with players we need to know that if Sean Williams leaves um, have we got anyone who can replace him
1: I'm doubted. I'm sure that's what Andrew Mills is straight onto at the moment um, yeah (laughs) 12 million down, 3 million up. That's the kind of track record of the club that we follow, isn't it? Yes, exactly.
4: Well, this is the thing. I don't know, I don't know if he is actually on that. I just don't know if he's just managed to worse, worse himself
1: into a job. I just think he's got a, an old copy of Championship Manager on his computer. He's got well, that, as his, exactly. that as his resource. <laughs> and it impressed the interview. I don't know. Yeah. Big game Tuesday night now. Craig, um, I think it's a must-win Tuesday. I can't. We, a draw there really won't do us any any good. I think we have to go to Blackburn and get a result.
4: Yeah, I think I still. I think we need to get a result. Definitely, I'm not. If we go down now, though, it will be gutting, and it is the hope that kills you. That's that's the yeah, thing that's upset me most is that, especially with this potential point seduction. I thought it's going to give us all that hope, hope that's yeah. going to make relegation <laughs> that we all seemed to accept now going to be a bit more heartbreaking. Um,
1: it's like the patient but, in a coma where they, 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 they suddenly they come back, don't they? And they start talking coherently, and so you get hope again. And, yeah. and uh, I know exactly. what you mean. I know what you mean. But um,
4: um, I'm not. I'm no longer fearful for if we go down. In terms of, I think with Harris in charge with the youth set up, I think we've got a good enough structure to stabilise, even if we don't make a challenge um, straight away. We've got that thing to sort of stabilise while we're there.
1: Fantastic. Well, that's the show, listeners. Thank you to Craig Griffiths for stepping in at very short notice no after my, after my disastrous traffic day yesterday. Really appreciate your time, Craig. Fingers crossed for this week. Thanks for all your help on the on the show this season, mate. I appreciate hey, it. Hey,
4: no problem. Always a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Octoon Millwall,
1: the CBL Magazine podcast. That's the Millwall News this week, and we are out of here.